in this section of Luke's account of the events that took place leading up to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to remember in particular two women, two babies, one God and Saviour. Now when we look at verses uh, 26 and 36 that we've already considered uh, in previous weeks, we see that Elizabeth at this point now is six months pregnant, just as God through Gabriel had promised. And that's the time when Gabriel appears to Mary. And almost immediately, it seems, uh, Mary then sets off to find her relative Elizabeth. And we discover at verse 56 that Mary stays with Elizabeth for three months, so more or less until the time when John is to be born. And then Mary returns home. And I want to consider uh, a couple of points and look at some very practical lessons of application in this section. And I want you to note, first of all, that as this meeting takes place between Mary and Elizabeth, uh, there is an inspired greeting which comes both from Elizabeth to Mary and also an inspired greeting from the baby even that Elizabeth is carrying. So we discover that Mary does what I guess we would want to do as well if we were in her position. Uh, she goes off to visit Elizabeth and to find out what's going on. Now, why, why, why might Mary do that? Is that because she lacks any faith to believe what Gabriel has just told her? No, not at all. Because in verse 45, Mary is described as she who believed. So it's not a lack of faith. Uh, but perhaps... Well, maybe she just needs that little bit of confirmation. I'm sure for Mary there was no shock or surprise when she saw that Elizabeth was indeed pregnant. I'm sure that Mary fully expected that she would be. But to see the reality of that which she believed to be true, well, I think probably we can identify with that. Uh, often, surely, it is our own experience Lord I do believe but nevertheless still help me in my unbelief and perhaps there was something of that in Mary as she goes to visit her relative and also Mary probably is just maybe just desperate to share this with someone who else in the whole world is going to believe Mary's story well if anyone will Elizabeth will. She'll believe every word of it. And as Mary arrives at her relative's home, Mary receives this wonderful confirmation of all that is happening. And it comes to her in three miraculous ways. The first is the physical evidence in front of her as Elizabeth cradles her growing six-month baby bump in her hands. There it is for everybody to see this miraculous thing that God has done. 
for Zacharias and Elizabeth, just as he said he would. And the second evidence for Mary is the reaction of Elizabeth's unborn child, which the scriptures say leaps at the sound of Mary's voice. Now, yes, babies move and kick in the womb. And at six months, Elizabeth would already have started to experience that. But this clearly is different. The unborn forerunner is aware of the presence of his Lord and Saviour. It's remarkable what's going on here. The Holy Spirit is undoubtedly at work in this family. And then, on top of all of that, we have the prophetic words of Elizabeth under direction of the Holy Spirit, as is made very clear at the end of verse 41. The Holy Spirit is with this lady and she's given this understanding of what's taking place here. She's granted knowledge and insight and she too has believing faith in all that is happening between them. And the way the text reads, Mary hasn't yet had chance to tell Elizabeth about the visit of Gabriel to her. She hasn't yet been able to tell Elizabeth what Gabriel said. But under the moving of God's Spirit, Elizabeth knows. Now that's how the passage reads. And I see no reason at all not to accept that that is indeed what happened. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth knows. To Elizabeth it's been revealed that Mary is carrying a baby. And if Elizabeth's baby was special, Mary's baby is off the chart. God's Spirit enables Elizabeth to acknowledge this special work which God has done in Mary's body in verse 42. Blessed are you among women and that which you are carrying within you. What a place of blessing Mary is in. And Elizabeth marvels that Mary should be granted such a privilege. Now think about this for a moment. Think about Elizabeth's own situation. Think about how things have been for her during all of those years, years of childlessness. And now, in her old age, beyond all hope and expectation, she is six months pregnant. Surely, for Elizabeth, you would think there is nothing that could possibly eclipse or surpass that. And yet, Elizabeth comes face to face with someone who makes her forget all about her own circumstances and who makes the miracle that's taken place in her body fade into insignificance. Isn't that amazing? That Elizabeth has been granted this miracle child is one thing, but it's nothing compared to that which God has granted to Mary. That the, the mother of my Lord should come to me. This young girl, 
is bearing in her body one who is God. My God. It's just fantastic. The eternal word has indeed been made flesh, just as God said. And the things of earth, all of them, no matter how big or important they might seem to be, all the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Don't they? Do they for you? They should. What will you be talking about the moment this service is over? Very good, Ian. Now, did you watch the football yesterday? What do you think about who won, who won Strictly? Is that how it is for you? Well, that was all very nice, but now let's get on to the real stuff. Is that how it is for you? Elizabeth's words close with a prophetic confirmation of all that Mary has been told. And what a joy this all must have been for Mary. What an, a marvel added on to the experience she's already had with Gabriel as God confirms all of this again through Elizabeth for her. Uh, just as a very brief aside, do you also see how in this passage the Bible teaches us of the validity and sanctity of life in the womb even from the point of conception? And how dare anyone suppose that they have the right to destroy it? Just as a little aside. And both of these women, along with the unborn John, are confirmed and convinced in believing faith. Because you see, that's what God does in the person of his Holy Spirit. You see, he is mightily and actively at work here. And this is one of the Spirit's key works to convince sinners of God's truth to convince sinners even of God. It's all the Spirit's work. And maybe there's someone here this morning and when it comes to the Bible and when it comes to the Gospel and even to this story, you remain unconvinced and you remain unbelieving. Well, it's not about willpower. It's not about brain power. It's not about your ability to try and reason it all through. The things of God are spiritually discerned and you need God's Holy Spirit to bring this illumination into your life. So whether you're a Christian who's struggling with certain aspects of the faith or whether you're an unbeliever who's struggling with every aspect of the faith, the answer for you is the same. You need to humbly come before God, confess your unbelief to him, and ask him to reveal himself to you, to make himself known to you. Go to a quiet place, get out a Bible, 
and prayerfully start to read, begin in Luke's gospel or in John's gospel, which is the next one along. And as you read, ask God to make himself known to you, to reveal himself to you through his word, by his spirit. Ask him to grant you the understanding that you need, the faith that you know you don't have and which only he can give you. Ask him to reveal Christ to you. Because the Bible says that God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that is how you diligently seek God. And also, just as a little by the way, another one, there's nothing in these verses anywhere that in any way justifies the notion that Mary should be exalted to a very particular and special place, to a place of adoration, or to conclude that she is the Queen of Heaven, the co-redemptrix with Christ, that she herself is a mediator somehow between God and men, and that she can hear and answer your prayers. That's nowhere to be found, and it's nowhere suggested. Can we think of Mary as being the mother of God? Well, yes, as long as we're careful to define our terms. She was the mother of God in the sense that the one who she bears in her womb is fully God. She is the, the biological mother of Christ made flesh. She's the one who gave birth to him. She's the one who physically nurtured him. But the extent of her motherhood begins and ends there. That's all there is to it. I'm not suggesting that's a, a little thing. It's a huge thing for any mother. But that's the extent of her motherhood. When she's mentioned through the Gospels and also in Acts chapter 1, there's nothing really to distinguish her from any other believer other than this remarkable blessing that God has given her, this amazing privilege that God has given her in carrying and delivering Christ into the world. Now that is wonderful indeed. And we remember her with thanks to God. And she has been blessed. Look at the way she's recorded in the scriptures. But that's as far as it goes. No one would be more horrified than Mary as to what the Roman Catholic Church, for example, has invented around her. And that becomes all too clear when we consider the words of her hymn of praise and thanksgiving. So there's, <coughs> there's been this inspired greeting from Elizabeth and even the baby in her womb as Mary arrives, all confirming what is going on here. And how is Mary to respond? Well, she responds with this great song or hymn of praise <clears throat> and thanksgiving. And she praises God. There's also confession here. And there's also proclamation. The style of it 
is, well, it's very similar to the kind of thing that you'd read in the Old Testament. It's the kind of thing that perhaps you might read in the Psalms. Well, that should come as no surprise to us. This is, this is the language that she knows. This is the language that she therefore quite naturally employs and draws from in her worship of God. Some of you will know that this little section, this song of Mary, is sometimes referred to as the Magnificat. Now the reason for that is very, very simple. Uh, for many, many centuries all across Europe, there was one common language that was used by churches and by academics, and that language, of course, was Latin. The Bible that they used was in Latin, and in the Latin, the very first word that you read is Magnificat. And so that's why it just gets called, got that label, the Magnificat. That's where it comes from. Uh, and that's all it is. So there's this wonderful song of thanksgiving and praise. Well, let's look at these words of Mary from verse 46 through to 56. And first of all, we notice praise. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Saviour. She begins with praise, declaring her great joy in God. She sees herself only as the object of God's grace. She sees herself as a sinner in need of God's mercy. God, my Saviour. She's not the perfect one without any sin. She needs a Saviour as much as any man or woman. Saviour is not just a title she uses for God. It's a declaration of personal testimony. It's what God has done for her. He's saved me. He's my saviour because I needed saving. I wonder, can you say that this morning? Have you said that? Do you know your need of God's salvation as Mary did? If God has truly come to you, by his spirit, if he's opened up your heart and mind to the things of his word and the things concerning Christ, well, the result of that should always be praise and thanksgiving. So she praises God for all that he's done and is yet to do. There's also confession in Mary from verse 48. Mary acknowledges her lowly status the reason people will remember her is because of what God has done in her and through her. Mary is the blessed Mary, not because there's something inherently special about Mary, but on account of what God has done for her. The only reason she has something to sing about is because of what God has done. And she speaks of mercy, his mercy is on those who fear him. God's been merciful to her. And God is a God of mercy and his mercy is going to be demonstrated most fully and most completely through the life and death of the baby that she is carrying. Now why is it important to consider God's mercy? Well it's important because God's anger is upon every single one of us because of our sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ has come into the world to turn away God's anger from us. And he's going to do that because 
the Lord Jesus Christ is going to take that anger upon himself for us. Have you ever acknowledged these kinds of things yourself before the Lord? Have you ever paused to think, what is there about me that God should remember me? There's a series on television called The Apprentice. I absolutely loathe that program. You get all, the, all of these candidates making these personal statements about themselves and you've never heard such nonsense in all your life. Overinflated egos full of their own self-importance only to be brought crashing down and publicly humiliated. Mary is blessed not by esteeming herself but by esteeming God. Mary is blessed, not because of what she's capable of, because, but because of what God, her Father and Saviour, has done for her. The world says, boast about yourself, esteem yourself, you can do it, you have what it takes, prove you're the best. The Bible turns all of that on its head. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. That's the heart that God's looking for. Is that yours? That's the heart of Mary. You see, it's as you come to God, acknowledging that you have nothing, acknowledging that before him you are destitute, then it is that God will come in and fill you with himself. You turn to him as your saviour, you discover that he's remembered even you. The Holy One of Heaven meets you in grace and in mercy, just as he did Mary. You see, this is humanity as God intended, not puffed up and boasting of itself, but resting in him, at peace in him, rejoicing in him, made strong in him, finding purpose in him. That's what it means, truly, to be a man or woman of God. And then there is proclamation in this song. As Mary continues, she recalls various attributes or characteristics of God's nature and how he acts in accordance with them. She proclaims God. And that come, comes across particularly from verse 51. The strength of God. Now often, because God is slow to anger, God does not take immediate action against sinners 
bringing to them that which their sins deserve. But he is constantly a God of strength. And he shows his strength in two key ways. So he's shown strength with his arm. How has he done that? Well, second half of verse 51, he deals with the proud and the mighty. Those who elevate themselves. Those who elevate themselves to the point that they think that God doesn't exist, or if he does, they have no need of him. Thank you very much. They can do perfectly well on their own. They think of themselves as being mighty. They think that within themselves they have all that they need to exist, to succeed, to make themselves and keep themselves happy and satisfied. Through this baby that's to be born, all such people will be scattered and defeated. That's how God will deal with you one day if you never humble yourself before him in confession and repentance of your sin. He scatters the proud in the imagination of their hearts. The world out there is just fooling itself in the imagination of their hearts. And all will be made clear one day. He's put down the mighty from their thrones. The first part of verse 52. All of them will be brought low. But, but the lowly God exalts. The lowly God exalts. Those who humble themselves before God. Those who confess their sinfulness. Those who acknowledge their weakness and their helplessness. And those who turn to God and who rely completely upon him. Those he exalts. Those he raises. Those he lifts. So in his strength, two things. Two things. Everyone in this room this morning is one of these two things. You need to decide which one you are. God in his strength does two things. He condemns the sinful and he saves the sinful. Which, which are you? Are you the proud, the strong, the haughty, condemned in your sin? Or are you the one who's humbled yourself in repentance before a holy God that in his strength he might save you? You're one or the other. There's no in-between. Verse 53, wonderful promise. He's filled the hungry with good things. But, flip side again. 
the rich he sends away empty. Those who come to him who know they have nothing, he fills with good things. He fills you with Christ. He fills you with his spirit. He gives you himself. He fills you with hope and peace and joy. He loves to bless those who humble themselves before him. But those who think they already have in themselves what they need, he sends them away empty-handed. And that's the tragedy of sin. People think they have it all, when actually their hands are empty. And empty-handed, God sends them away. And as we get towards the end of this song of Mary, In verse 54 through to 55, Mary could easily have used this whole situation to make herself the centre of attention, but she hasn't. And men are wrong to put her on a pedestal the way they do. What God is doing here, it's all been based upon the promises that have been given to Israel 2,000 years ago through Abraham. To Abraham, God showed mercy and to Abraham, God promised future mercy thinking of Christ. To all the generations since, God has been showing mercy and he's been promising future mercy, looking forward to Christ. And now Mary can see this promised mercy is about to be revealed and displayed and fulfilled through the baby she's carrying in her own body. God, through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is building a kingdom. And here's the glorious thing. You can be a member of it. This kingdom is not of this world. It's not for the proud. It's not for the mighty. It's for those who, just like Mary, will humble themselves before a holy God, confessing their need of salvation and embracing God through Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Have you done that? Those who content themselves in their own riches, their own achievements, They have no place in it. They've already got the reward they're looking for. Well, very good. But God is going to send you away empty and condemned. But for those who will come to God, confessing their sin, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, a righteousness which only God himself can supply through Christ, to them he satisfies their mouths with good things. And you'll be satisfied for all eternity. He provides that satisfaction and longing and comfort that the human soul craves. And it's only found in God through Christ. And verse 55 these are eternal and unchanging truths. He spoke these things to our fathers, to Abraham and his seed forever. And it stands, unchanging truth. This is Mary's song. The one to be born of her womb is the man who is God, who will accomplish all of these things. He will save his people from their sins and he will purchase their entry into his everlasting kingdom. And we too can only bow down 
and sing his praise. We're going to do that. And we're going to remember what this babe of Bethlehem came to do as we share around the Lord's table together. To lead us into that, we're going to sing uh, the first two verses of a hymn. We'll sing the remainder of the hymn at the end. We sing the praise of him who died, of him who died upon the cross. The sinner's hope, let men deride. For this we count the world but loss. Inscribed upon the cross, we see in shining letters, God is love. He bears our sins upon the tree. He brings us mercy. <laughs>